my grandma and your grandma sitting by the fire. My grandma said to your grandma, I'm going to set your flag on fire. Talking about Aina, 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 Aina. I go, I go on that. Oh, Chakamofidon, Wanyane. Chakamofidyane. See that boy all dressed in red. I go, I go on day. Bet you five dollars he'll kill you dead. I can not be all yay. Talking about Aina, 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 Aina. I go, I go on day. Oh, Chakamophilia, Wanane. Chakamophilia, Wanane. To see that man all dressed in green. I go, I go on day. He's not a man, he's a loving machine. Chakamophilia, Wanane. Talking about hey now, hey now. I go, I go on day. Oh, Chakamophilia, Wanane. Chakamophilia, Hey everybody, this is Kushbaum here to rock your pants off this Friday. So we've been doing a lot of reading lately. We, we just finished going through uh, the making of global capitalism. And I think we're going to start, as I said, in a little bit, Richard Lackman's first-class prisoners on a sinking ship, but I haven't done a Q&A in a while, so I thought it'd be nice to do a little Friday Q&A old-school style where we just talk things out, chop it up at La Bodenga. Oh, shit. I got a phone call here. Yeah? Uh, what about in about an hour? All right. Thanks. Sorry about that. My phone blowing up. So I thought today would be fun to just have a low-key chat and uh, maybe answer some questions from anyone who has them. Uh, While we're not pursuing any specific intellectual progress, a little refractory period to take a breath and chill. It's, It's Friday. Don't gaslight me. I'm just hoping, I'm just brought, bracing myself for somebody putting a bunch of Portuguese gibberish in there. This is an interesting question. How has your opinion of fascism changed? And I would say that it's largely changed uh, because I have... Uh, I have decided that like fascism as an analytical category is too historically uh, contextual, too enmeshed in a specific extinct political economy and cultural matrix, that it is functionally uh, incompatible with the current moment. You can't apply fascism to now because the definition of fascism, like we talk about, you know, think words have definitions and the de- those definitions have a bunch of different uh, subsidiaries to them. 
And some of them are really thick and bounding, and other of them are sort of arbitrary and can be passed away. Uh, and I'd say one of the load-bearing structures of fascism is the specific context of mass politics. I don't think you can have fascism without mass politics. So therefore, I think it is an analytical category. It is incompatible. So when we see the discussion of fascism as it plays out in the media, what we're actually seeing is people seizing this uh, extinct concept, infusing it with all of this passionate emotional connection because of what fascism historically stands for, and then demanding a relationship to fascism that people were morally obligated through the lens of history, we look back and we say, oh, people were morally obligated to align themselves against fascism. And we can apply that to the current moment. We can identify a fascism and then align against it that way. And I say that the purpose of that debate is to never be decided. It is to never be applied because we're only asking people, how should I feel about this thing? Not how does this thing impact my life? Not how does this thing integrate into my daily struggles? And I know that for some people, fascism or like its social remnant is a live threat to their life. But I think that the emotional fixation on it pulls everyone away from meaningful questions. Because think about it. How do you determine the question of whether it's fascism? Answer, when there's a coup and when the dictatorship happens and when there's camps and when we have that psychic break from the like eternal present and we go back into history. We're all fantasizing about one way or the other, which is what the liberal wants because the liberal cannot imagine stepping down from his position. He can only imagine annihilation. This is the death drive of liberalism, which fascism is an expression of in one context, in the mass cultural, mass political context of post-World War II Europe in the context of global consumer capitalism at the end of history, I do not think you can speak of a, uh, of a political subject capable of carrying out fascism. But does that mean there's not going to be concentration camps? Does that mean there's not going to be genocides, not just deaths through uh, 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 malignant neglect, which is what we're seeing now, but actual uh, proactive regimes of, of civilizational uh, extinguishment? It just means that it's not going to have uh, the comforting costume that allows you to imagine yourself to be in the moral position of a Jew or a communist under fascism, which is what you're actually seeking. You don't want to win. Winning is impossible. You're a liberal, remember. We're all liberals. The liberal subject is telling us, the liberal it is expressing itself in the culture that we all consume because it's all made by and for libs specifically people who are adhered to capitalism as liberal subjects because they have the money to make and consume entertainment. And everyone else, to one degree or another, looks on and deals with this crisis, this failure to take power, which is the fundamental weakness at the heart of, uh, of, of the left side of liberalism, the progress, socially progressive form of liberalism that is the positive, necessary, cultural uh, uh, byproduct of capitalism. Like this is underestimated. You can't have class power executed on a global scale, which you need, without the establishment first of the liberal subject, then of identity. 
so that people can organize in solidarity around people that they recognize as occupying a common condition. And that's not just their class position. It's also all the cultural markings and all that shit. That has to be built, and then it has to be broken down a little bit. You have to get nationalism identities, and then the identity as the worker, and this is in the heart of Europe anyway, where capitalism is forged without being able to, you know, it, 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 it is being forged here, not imposed. It's like being collectively built by everybody as they struggle, which is different than how it occurs when it's then being exported to the rest of the world. What the liberal really wants is just to be Sophie Scholl. They want to be in the concentration camp. If they have to die, and that's what they're accepting, they're accepting we can't change course, which means we have to die. Remember, they could die well in pursuit of revolution, but they know in their heart they won't. Push comes to shove, they know in their heart that they will not sacrifice that. So that means that they are yearning an innocent death, and the only innocent death is one where they are punished, basically, by their own sins, in the form of a fascist annihilation. The fascist is the other pole of capital, the, the pole around the manual exercise of power in the form of slave economies, direct extraction, primitive extraction, cap, the, the dirty end of the stick of capital accumulation, because it, it accumulates by dispossession of others to build the furnace, to fill the furnaces in the center. And there needs to be someone near the furnaces, directing the flow, and there need the people be temporally, spatially, uh, se uh, temporally separated. I'm sorry, no. Simultaneously, at the same time, uh, they're geographically separated out at the edge where the real exploitation is happening. And that creates another pole, another uh, a liberal identity, which also takes uh, the end annihilation of all as a given, because it cannot recognize beyond it's, a, it's, it's, it's narrowly constrained, class-bound identity. Uh, but instead of being punished for the sins, why not just decide that the sins are actually good? Why not decide that all the stuff that you're supposed to feel bad about, you should actually feel good about? Because it's an expression of God's will. Because the natural order is, is the mind of, is the actual will of God. And man against man primitive, brutal accumulation, whoever wins is by virtue of having won correct, might makes right. In that, like in the ritual of that creation, you birth a religious conception. Like in, in, the, in all that bloodshed and, and, that, and those eruptions of culture, new forms of culture form. And they are, uh, it's a class identity. It is a petty bourgeois because if you have a lot of money, a lot of power, you don't have to get your hands dirty, and you choose not to. You would rather stay in the salons and abstractly dominate, and then feel bad about it, and exercise a politics of guilt. Or you can be out in the fucking trenches of colonialism and slavery, and then, yeah, like, uh, class, uh, or um, wage slavery. Like the like uh, being foremen and, and uh, owners of small capital battling their restive labor population.
And there, you can't keep those liberal pieties. Uh, you can't imagine an idea where you're, you're God, you're the mind of God. No, you're subject to God, and God is nature, and God tells you who, would, who wins and who is. In the guts of the loser, you see the reflected face of the winner. In the, in the pooled blood of the loser of the battle, you see reflected God's choice, a natural occurrence. That is what Christianity got grafted on top of very clumsily uh, in the medieval period as a way to shore up collapsing uh, structure of the Roman Empire under ecological pressure. The same process we're now re-carrying out. And it was like, it had to be reforged during the Reformation to fit around the new uh, structures of, of capitalism that were emerging out of the need for complexity to fight this war of all against all on the ass end of the fucking Eurasian continent. So this is all a round way of saying that I think fascism, don't talk about it. Historically, fascinating. Let people draw conclusions of their own mind, but do not press an agenda that relates to the current condition, because it's not the same condition. We don't have the the social base to carry out fascism. And you can say, well, we have techno-fascism. It's like, yes, but the techno part does not require political legitimization. The more that it's techno, the more that it's algorithm, the less you need a formal politics of enacting it. Like the, 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 uh, the horsepower to fascism provided by the mass party is now done algorithmically and electronically. So there is no need for that uh, energy being socially captured, which is what is going to have to happen. You need social containers for fascism because it will not emerge out of this depoliticized, declassed, atomized social base. So if it's too techno, then the fascism word doesn't apply. What is it? Some have called it techno-feudalism. Others have said that that's not correct. I understand where they're coming from when they say, this is just going to be more capitalism. And I think that's true, but it doesn't tell the whole story because you have to have a, uh, a social superstructural sleeve to go around it. Because you can't, we've never just called it capitalism. You know, we've also had all these other structures running through it, like fascism, like liberalism, like the rule of law, like the socialist movement, like actual existing socialism and communist states, uh, uh, post-colonial third worldism. We have all these, uh, these things that we wrap around a process that is globally just capitalism reproducing itself. But the people don't know that. This is all happening through them. The world spirit is acting through them. And they're just acting out their politics. We have to have a word for that because we're still passively political subjects in that we need a political vocabulary to understand the world. So what kind of capitalism is it going to be when you see a collapse of the public sphere, and which is a real thing that is really happening? And you have to have a word to address that. And I think the feudalism comes in because what we're talking about is we're talking about the disappearance of a public sphere of equal rights guaranteed by uh, guaranteed by superseding human structures like constitutional orders, legal ideas, that we would be bound by concepts. 
That is the feudal, that is the liberal dream of society. It's the only way you could have capitalism without it destroying itself. The 17th century proved this. You could not have, uh, you could not have a religious Christendom with modern technology of war. That's what the 30 years war proved. So that energy had to go elsewhere. It was pushed off into the uh, new world in the form of colonies that did most of the work of like providing a social valve. But it also changed institutions within Europe, and it moved them towards this neutral space where people could exercise rights as citizens, not as, as members of a, uh, of a godly communion, which was the underlying assumption of medieval uh, feudalism. Yeah, they fought all the time, but in the fighting, the right one, the gods chosen, was revealed. It was a trial for control of Europe by combat, according to the, the chivalric code of the warrior caste who took over after the end of the Roman Empire, when it could no longer sustain its bureaucratic function. They took Christianity, turned it into a structure to accommodate that, but it comes under too much pressure once you have the, the degree of um, urbanization, uh, literacy, and technology that comes smack into the Little Ice Age and the, uh, the end of the medieval warm period, drastically changing agricultural inputs. That creates a new pressure. That creates a new set of contradictions. Protestantism emerges out of that by necessity. It's following the, mo- the, the, the energy through the system as it brings itself into life across continents because it's also pushing off all the riffraff and all the, all the uh, anxious money to the new world to do all the real massacring and expropriation on people who aren't and have never been considered part of Christendom. But that medieval space was one where there's no such thing as an individual right. There's no such thing as a, as, uh, as, as uh, a citizen. You are also, everyone is subject to someone else. And all relationships are bilateral across these contracts. It's bound, it's, it's binding people. Not, but it's not being bound, this is the difference, it's not being bound by our collective agreement in the concepts of constitutional order and law that come out of the creation of a secular bourgeois subject, but something from before that level of abstraction. When God's will rent in the world is the sum total of the right. And so who is in charge is there by God's will. Their rule flows from their uh, uh, legitimacy. And what enthroned capitalism was the creation of this neutral space, which diffused so much social conflict and allowed for capitalism to be built. But now we're at a terminal point when the uh, illusion of freedom, basically, that the uh, proletarian had been given uh, under the conditions of Extractive capitalism with a, with a frontier, which was redistribution towards the center from the periphery geographically. Once you get a global uh, market and once you get uh, the end of a frontier, you are now cannibalizing, which means you can no longer afford to send anything to the center. And in fact, the stuff that's hoarded in the center is going to start being dissolved by its consumption, like the fat on a starving body. And that means that it cannot sustain the legitimacy of these institutions like constitutional law. People believed in them because they delivered. They don't believe in them now because they no longer deliver. But we still depend on them. That is a contradiction that's going to break the whole thing.
And that is a political uh, trajectory. Towards a political break, but what's going to stop the political break, I think, is that we're going to lose that public sphere again. We're going to lose the public space. It is no longer going to be affordable. It's going to be lined out of the budget. They're going to say, okay, you people can't have public space anymore because public space implies a level of social, uh, social obligation uh, across individual relationship of domination. And that can't happen. Can't have it, Henry. Henry, Henry, I can't have it. I can't have them commiserating like that. So that means we can't have the people commiserating in a public space because, yeah, they will destroy each other. We'll have civil war. Instead, we have in, uh, a new regime of bilateral contractual right relationships between us and corporate entities. Individuals and corporate entities. Those are going to be the new bilateral social tie. And that is the reinscription of force over the abstraction of, uh, of rule of law and human rights that was only possible under the social conditions of, uh, of expansive capitalism. Capitalism in contraction cannot sustain a public. So, like, is that feudalism? Force empowers an imposition by force through technology this time. As a, well, different technology, not, you know, the church, you know, and, uh, uh, and like arquebuses. Now, like the entire digital infrastructure of our lives. It's imposed by force and that forces its legitimacy. You need a job, probably. You need products. You can only get those products through a coercive relationship with these more powerful institutions. And you're then slotted in a hierarchy with other ones. And it is, in, in, it is not imposed by the deliberations of the polis, the way we fantasize it is, under expansionary capitalism, but rather, under these new conditions, uh, it's pure uh, divine right, the restoration of a divine right, which is why it makes sense that guys like Peter Thiel are uh, fucking uh, all like Catholics because they think, oh, we're going back. We're going back to feudalism. But of course, this is where language gets tricky and why Wittgenstein is uh, essentially correct, how, how it's so hard to really get at the nub of problems because so much of them are, are, are uh, often willful misunderstandings. These guys think that they can recreate the social conditions of, a, of an exalted, uh, godly-touched aristocracy, that they would be able to slot themselves in. Not at the top, like that's why they all pretend to be Christian, because they want to imagine, well, they will all be subject to God's will, even though this is just their id expressing itself through the machines they've built to execute it. But like the most political of the ruling class, like Teal, are basically just posters. They're losers who are along for the ride like everybody else and who are so pretentious 
and insecure about their intellect and position in the hierarchy that they feel that they need to show everybody how smart they are. The really smart elite know that they're along for the ride, have figured out how to survive what's coming for them and theirs, and are leaving politics to the losers, to the hobbyists, to the people who still think there's someone to fucking uh, seek the approval of, some mommy or daddy. And in the form of people like Teal and the entire cascading political scene around them, it is literally they want God, which is the other, which is the people on the other end of the, uh, of the class divide that they look at in, in a combination of horror and, and, uh, and uh, lust and transfiction and guilt and resentment, this sadomasochistic pada, this, this fixation that is always other and always separate, and therefore, by definition, the repository of the holy, of God, God can only exist in the other because God represents our separation. Because otherwise you wouldn't need a word for it because you're it. So psychically, we don't find our God in uh, our side. We find it in the other And uh, at the very end of, 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 of uh, capitalism, which is just class rule carried out through technology over time, it's just the end stage of this cycle. Once you get class rule embedded itself around a regime of technology, it will run rampant until it has consumed the globe and destroyed itself, unless it is interfered with by another social formation that emerges within it. Marx imagined to be the working class of the world in the early 20th century, late 19th. And uh, we got that battle, but it was lost. And now we're in the, in, in the end stages of this thing. But the fascist notion is one of social conflict over a political instead of what we are living with now, a situation where uh, uh, communities of care have to be created. And those will have politics, but the politics will be subsist- subsidiary to the actual goal of providing care for each other. I know that sounds like mutual aid, but mutual aid is charity, basically, most of the time, because you're doing it for people who you're never going to see again. You're doing it, you, you, you tell yourself, oh, we're going to tell them about DSA or whatever if you're a member of an organization, but in reality, they'll probably just hey, thank you for the, 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 uh, the brake light fix, but then never see you again. It's mutual networks. And it doesn't mean, you know, just politics. It means those things occurring simultaneously at the point of necessity, which is why it can't be spoken of, which is the Wittgensteinian nub of the problem for me, because I know that about which one cannot speak one must only pass over in silence. And I'm finding that any, because of my captured nature, I mean, I basically am living in a cube. I like live inside the computer, basically, if you think about it. I'm Max Hedrum. I live in the computer. It's like, you know, I have a physical life, but it is around the computer. Uh, I, have a, I have a social life. I have love in my life and I'm, I'm, I have relationships and I'm nurturing them. I'm trying to, but they are all in this context of me being ahead in an internet jar. Uh, and so that means that the most vital questions before us, I find myself increasingly 
unable to speak on because I just feel like I can either bluff it and and pretend that the stuff that I think I can talk about uh, relates to anybody's day-to-day circumstances. If I admit that, then I, I kind of have to, I kind of get, uh, I end up having to, instead of like advancing an agenda, I have to basically move around and like map an endless internally constrained territory. My own brain, basically. I'm basically doing a CAT scan on here. And then people just have to decide for themselves whether that's worth paying attention to. I can't tell you. It makes me feel, I don't know. It, it helps center me, and I think that is an important thing. I don't know. I'm in California. I'm a sellout. What do you want? It happened, man. Like Adorno and Bertolt Brecht. Just a lamer, sadder, more pathetic version of that trajectory of uh, would-be public intellectuals, oafs, clowns, cautionary tales. So yeah, only listen to me if it's fun. Okay, I think that gets to the question. But anyway, that's why in a lot of my earlier stuff on Chapo and, and, and everywhere, I might, I've talked about fascism and talked about how like at the 2016 uh, uh, at RNC, when Trump was just talking all in terms of like uh, of American defeat and like betrayal and uh, bereavement, all the classic fascist uh, to- tones were being hit. I said he's fascist, but looking back on it, it's like you know he was he was hitting those symbols, but in a completely different social structure and context. Like those 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 uh, those chimes going off in in 30s Germany. A, depre- a, a cataclysmic world war that kills a massive percentage of the population leaves most of its young uh, military-aged men with weaponry experience uh, and massively traumatic uh, war experience, and then a, a, an unprecedented and, and un- seemingly bottomless uh, eco- economic depression. Those things have a social power that they do don't have anymore. Yeah, they're, people are recognizing them, but they're recognizing them even on the right for the most part. Through a veil of irony, through 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 a, through a haze of comfort, These, nobody, nobody went to World War One. Nobody went, we're talking about uh, experienced World War One. Nobody's experienced the depression. Some people have experienced the like, collective uh, trauma of that at the bottom of these groupings, but they're the least organized or organizable. The most likely to stochastic and random violence that is terrible, but cannot by definition be politically organized around because of its stochastic stochastic nature. So now I would say fascist, uh, he's a, he's, he is, he is the end of bourgeois politics. I'll say that. What that means is though, is completely different because is, is completely up in the air because I don't know. I think I don't, I really don't think the seizure of the middle like the reins of actual power in the U.S. Uh, political system by like a Trump-aligned reactionary uh, shard. Is that likely, even with conditions as they are? I would honestly say that the U.S. military would more likely to play a Egyptian or Taiwanese or Thailandian, Thailandian? Thai, ha, an Egyptian or Thai-style role 
in breaking through a partisan gridlock and uh, imposing a broadly popular uh, uh, non-political intervention to basically drain politics out of the well of politics. Because the United States military is not only the most, you know, uh, uh, the most expensive proposition in world history, basically, one of the, the biggest machines ever built by anyone ever, probably the biggest in, in absolute terms, oh, the biggest carbon emitter as a result of that. This thing is what is the actual backstop of the U.S. Uh, fiscal state, which is the backstop of a global supply network on which the continued survival of every bourgeois faction on the fucking hide of the globe depends. And it cannot be captured by Trump the way that the political institutions have. And that is um, because unlike those political institutions, the United States military has broad popular legitimacy. This is the key thing. This is the thing that undermines all of the Trump fascist theses. It is that they are imagining that every American institution is as uh, 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 what's the word for it? Uh, surmountable, I guess. Vulnerable to as each other, and they're not. Like the U.S. military has been the author of the misery of the last half century, but because of our political life and how it's defined, we cannot publicly say that. Instead, we blame it on this political structure, political parties. Politicians, candidates, the media. And as things get worse, we get more and more disgusted with it. And we care less and less about its rules, like the Constitution. But that's not true in the U.S. military. The U.S. military commands something like 70, 80% approval and trust in the United States. Crosses all partisan lines. Even people, I mean, even people on the left are divided on the military. And why? Because it actually is a broad participatory institution in American life that actually has, like, money in it. It's basically the only one. And for that reason, it has a social uh, authority and legitimacy that limits the amount to which it can be infiltrated by any of these nihilist political strains that are just coming out of the minds of insane middle-class white people, basically. So that means if you get a real crisis, real prolonged economic crisis, which is, I think, what everyone is premising all of their worst-case scenarios on, that's, that institution will have a uh, point of resistance to the uncoordinated, selfish, uh, oaf-ridden, grifter-filled Republic, uh, fascist movement. Because the difference is, here is the key and most important and perhaps only difference that matters when we're talking about these two types of uh, phenomena. Capitalism in terminal crisis, given different conditions. That's at a stage in capitalist development. Is that the 
fascist movement was the same guys that it is now. Yes, they were World War I veterans, so they had more personal virtue and valor than these absolute craven pieces of shit at the end of history. Uh, like Hitler and Mussolini were war heroes, you know? Uh, it, it, they sacrificed. They were willing to risk their lives, which is untrue of anyone in power now. Um, but, you know, they were also this, these, these twisted monsters who were either, like, deeply disturbed or cynical fucking scam artists. Just a bunch of people picking each other's pocket and talking to themselves. And yeah, they shouldn't have taken power. And a lot of the people who did poo-poo them did so because they looked like a bunch of clowns. But they were being carried aloft by this understructure of conservative institutions, including the military, that you saw them as a useful tool in preventing the coming together of the working class as a effective uh, machine to claim state power in Germany, which it could have done. And it was that machine, not of these clowns and scam artists and carnival barkers, but of the cold, steely men of business and industry, the Tissons and the Krups and the Von Poppins and the old man Hindenburg out to lunch, not even knowing what he's doing. Our Trump thing is floating on nothing. It's float. No, it is. I'm, I'm wrong about that. It is floating on these isolated structures of extractive capital strewn through our country's hinterland with their connected tissue of local, cultural, superstructural power and institutional domination down to the tendrils of like county sheriffs and stuff. But it's totally unorganized. Because there could be no central gravitational point for it to turn around, which is the only thing that gives it, in a moment of crisis, the, limb, the nimbleness to claim power. Look at what happened on January 6th. Before we had a fascist takeover, we would have a broadly popular, this is the important part, a broadly popular military coup. If there was a threat of a Trump, some sort of Trump imperium, the Democrats, the people who vote for Democrats, would support it, by and large. The people who support Republicans would also support it, by and large. This is the important point. You would break off the most federal MAGA people, the ones who do want war, but they're never going to outnumber in power, in ability to organize, the relatively comfortable but still precarious lower capital owners. And they're not going to fucking care. They're going to be like, oh, God, good, the cavalry's here. And the disgruntled on both wings can be defeated in turn if they fucking put up a fucking fight, which they might for a little bit, but not in a way that would be coordinatable, not in a way that couldn't be extinguished just like all the fires of 2020 were put out. And the thing is, is that for the liberals, that is salvation. Because it prevents them from actually having to make the choice. Am I going to keep being a Nazi? Or am I going to be a Jew or a Sophie Scholl or a communist? And they all know the answer. They all know in their heart what the answer would be. Which is why they organize their politics around something that's not going to happen with the hope that they will be saved by something that will carry out the same regime of horror and bloodshed 
but from an, a, a, a suspended middle, a Matthew McConaughey military junta that just eases the captive bolt gun into your forehead while carrying out horrifying violence, but at a technological remove, as opposed to what the Trump fascism would want, which is bodies on television every night, ritually murdered. Sacrifices on the goddamn uh, ziggurats. Cutting heart, carving hearts out and kicking the fucking corpses down the steps of the temple. That's the only difference. Are we going to kill them inside the wire or are we going to kill them outside the wire? Are we going to use, are we going to incorporate it into our spectacle of life and our value system or are we going to put it off stage? And the thing is, though, you can't bring it in the wire without destroying the, fun, the, the pediment of global capitalism. The, the state that is a carapace for the military. And so, it can't happen. Because they'll kill people on both sides. And when it happens, if you are comfortable enough to love your military leaders in your heart, because they're giving you the continued safety you needed without having to actually confront the state. You get to stay inside the wire. You're so grateful uh, for that. That you uh, look the other way when they have to techno-destroy climate refugees or something. It's, it's oh, dump weapons into uh, a horrifying blood death pit in uh, Eastern Europe. Regrettable but necessary. And then when the state does sometimes like zap some mega dipshit, like there's some some coal baron decides to like uh, secede from the American uh, military, the uh, McConaughey Republic, and they just Waco his ass. Liberals get to have fun watching that. And of course, we're going to have live wars, too. And we're still going to have police repression of the people who are still in the in the wire, but are falling down and are trying to make noise out of it and are still clogging up our streets and have people who want to represent their politics. They still get to beat those guys up. There's some, there is a lens for you to look, and everywhere you see, you can see your enemies punished by the state that you identify with, and you can see uh, the pain done to people that you identify with in any abstract way as uh, the thing that makes it their fault. It's happening. You, you, you see the, the, the crime, and then you see the punishment. It is a spectacle of punishment. But it is either punishment, divine and, and, and good punishment, as uh, carried out by deliberative processes of human thought, which is liberal, law and order, constitutional order ideas, or it is the mere fact of one's ability to destroy one another. It is the sacrifice on the temple top. It is the, the old, grounded regime of power. The oldest one that's been being, that's been pulled through history uh, by uh, the more the progressive pole of culture, because it's there where decisions can be made and where efficiencies can be noticed, but only by people who have eaten the spice, basically. And that is that creates a culture of, of feetness. It, it creates this. It's the cultural decline that all the uh, the uh, anxious fascist, proto-fascist theorists of, uh, of of race in the early 20th century uh, thought about. But what the reason that they all thought that way 
And the reason that this it does have a tragic internal logic, even though it's wrong, is that it denies the existence of class. It denies class's position as the experience, the human identity experience that can act independently of these forces and assert an actual human rule where institutions would be infused with genuine species-wide legitimacy that would not have to be coerced into being. This is the political utopia of socialism. And once you have a global system, once you have global capitalism, it becomes the only truly moral, conscious political project. And it is the political project, not coincidentally, of the working class. Every other political project is just a subset of the death drive of liberalism, which accepts the annihilation of all that it values and therefore it's, uh, it's rendering meaningless. Like it, it accepts that all it values, even though it is about accumulating value, it, it makes a world where the only thing that means anything is the, uh, is the abstract value you can extract from it. And then also guarantees that all value will be annihilated. How is that reconciled? It can't be. All it can, can be done is the created of a schizoid, repressed psyche, where you are on one side or another of a divide that is about abstraction, that is about symbol over sensation. And that different minds coalesce around different poles. And then they carry out the collective, unconscious, collaborative project of their class domination while still formally imagining themselves aliens, non-tribesmen, others, enemies in the Schmidtian sense, and then goes to war with them while they're collectively, unconsciously building a structure of, uh, of political economy wrapped around an industrial me mechanism of profits uh, uh, accumulation. But that, the stability of that conflict depends on inputs. It depends on surplus being distributed towards the center to literally soothe these friction points so that they don't break up into outright conflict and undermine the whole thing. But the machine once built cannot anticipate a day when inputs will go down because the assumption of eternally expanding inputs is hardwired and constitutive of the thing itself. It cannot be otherwise. The, the algorithm of capitalism, the great chain of logic that we're all bound by, assumes for everything else to work, a continued expansion of inputs. Basically, the violation of the second law of thermodynamics. It is based on this fundamental heresy. But that is because class rule is heretical. Our civilization is based on a pediment of a heresy. The idea that one class should rule another. 
But that lends towards a mindless oblivion because, hey, oh no, uh, inputs go down. It happens to geographically fixed empires and they all fall and rise and fall and rise. Capitalism emerges, dominates the whole world and has reached that final stage where it is no longer expansionary, even though its underlying logic from the logic of individual minds within it to the logic of every machine that operates is otherwise. And it cannot program itself. We were supposed to do that. Human race articulated into a conscious mass by the working class were to seize the reins. And we have failed to do so. Not because we didn't try, but because the conditions were not favorable. That doesn't mean it didn't happen somewhere. That means, that means it didn't happen in some other world that is just like ours, but a little different. And it doesn't mean it's not going to happen on this exact planet at some distance time and space in the future with a different cycle once, it's re- re- once the cycle has renewed itself. But our challenge as people who are living in this space and time is how to live with that knowledge. And the thing is, is that the, the very structures that brought us to this point rob us of an ability to deal with that fact. Because that expanding horizon that powers capitalism, it also powers our uh, theology. It, It powers our spiritual understanding of the world. It turns uh, the notion of God from a recognition of our supplication, our, our position subject to and constituent of a greater thing that is beyond our conception to a point of view that we are to consciously move towards. We are to become God consciously, even though that is an impossibility. And so we have the uh, replacing, first we have the, the horizon of, uh, of Christianity, you know, oh, there's heaven, and you know, if you have a good life on he- earth, you'll go to heaven, and what is a good life? It's thinking about God all the time, which is pretty easy when your belly's full, and you're not being scourged to, make, to work for someone else, when you're sitting on... Uh, on rents, when you're sitting on extracted surplus value, it's easy to think about Jesus all the time. And so what do you know? All these people who are around me are going to heaven. That means I sure as hell am. And that that defines what heaven is. So it just becomes the pursuit of maximal pleasure with a fantasy of eternal life at the end of it, which is where all the teal morons and musk idiots are. Where they think, oh yeah, no, I'll just be, I will uh, live forever, which is in a single consciousness through eternity is, uh, is a structural um, contradiction that can only be resolved by Godhood. I'm trying to be God. Can't be God. Sorry. But it won't stop us from destroying the world in the pursuit of it. Because with that as our horizon, a recognition that things are going to get worse that our pleasure matrix that allows us to consider ourselves good people is going to be undermined in the near future, or we can imagine it will be, and yet we're not doing anything to change so that we're not so scared of that happening. 
That's going to eat you up. But if you understand that, that you are not separate fundamentally, that the, that, that the older uh, understandings of the self, that it were sort of wiped out by hyper-individualism and just how much time people spend alone in their life now, uh, have left them unable to reconcile to each other or to the world around them, which is what we all, we have to feel that we're moving towards in order to feel a sense of, of any kind of comfort. We have to feel like we're moving towards reconciliation between us and people in our lives who we have estranged or, or had bad things happen with, uh, uh, but also just, you know, the human race in general. In an expansion of cycles all through every every tier of consciousness that we have encountered in our lives and, and acted upon, we want to make amends. We want to feel forgiven. Because eventually, even if everything stabilizes and, and you were living at the, in the catbird seat of capitalism, you will still come to an end point where you have to accept and reconcile yourself to death, which is to say uh, reunion, or you can resist it. And it is in the struggle against it that you're going to either have dreams or nightmares. And I think the real secret that can't be told in a class society is that every, every nightmare ends uh, in, in reconciliation. And, and no matter how scary it is, you uh, emerge finally in the bosom of the Lord. However that can, whatever that means to you, and you probably don't even know, it's deeper, it's more structurally grounded than anything you could articulate. But that is a... That, is a truth that class society can't bear. Because if people don't need to be, uh, if, if there is no ultimate suffering, then there can be no ultimate punishment and no need for ultimate punishment. And if you don't need punishment, you don't need class rule. Punishment is the thing that's all resting on. And if you think that life is the end and you think that there is no restitution, then revenge is all you have left. The pursuit of that pleasure the pursuit of that sadism, that distracting sadism that prevents you and distracts you from pursuing reconciliation. And I think that the hope we have as a, as a species rests in our deep drive to reconcile, being activated as conditions change. See, here's God. You can mean Christian reconciliation good, good, is equally stabilized. Yes, Christian reconciliation has hell. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about total and universal reconciliation. I'm not saying people don't go to hell. I'm saying that they don't stay there. I'm saying we are going to hell for a while. But what, what hell is not, and this is, I think, what Christians and uh, uh, secular liberals who imagine death just as something so horrifying they can't think about it. It is the obliteration of reason through uh, pain, either psychic or physical. In the, in, the, in the more carnal medieval eras, we thought of it as physical, like literally burning in hell, like fire, 
fire is, you're feeling like you're hot. You're feeling scorched because you see that happen to people. People get burned alive. Imagining that is the last thing you feel. But for a secular liberal who doesn't believe in hell, they still imagine the moment of death as equally mind-breakingly terrible as that and equally in need of distraction from, of not thinking about. And I don't think that happens. I think you probably suffer. You make yourself suffer in the process of reconciling yourself because you feel you have it coming. But you'll never get to the final point of obliteration because you're thinking, you're having the dream. You're dreaming. You will pull hands. There's no way to wake up. The thing you wake up into is another level of reconciliation. Distant from your worst fears. More navigatable by the self. More like life. And these levels keep video game-like expanding outward until you get Inevitably, no matter who you were in life, no matter who you were, no matter what you did, no matter what you did, no matter who you are, because we're all dreams in each other's minds. We're all as real as each other. That means we're all as not real as each other. Everybody ends up in that embrace because it is the closing of a loop that start, that, it, that is self-perpetuating. And then maybe we pop out somewhere else from that that black hole that is not black, that is white, that is all light. Because it's like, oh, it sucks in all light. But then, yeah, that's where all the light is now. And then you get popped out. You probably get popped out back somewhere in your life. And then you live some of it. Maybe you live it in a little different. Like this time you've got the Horn of Eld coming out of the, the, the top of the Dark Tower. Something else happens. You have more or less pain in life. Then you have more or less pain in the afterlife, all of which is reconciled and therefore rendered painless. The only ghost left being all that was learned, all that was held fast, all that had meaning, all that was loved during that time you were alive. And the thing is, I know that's true, and that's why I know that a society without class rule but with current levels of technology is a, is a real, meaningful horizon. If not for these people here, but for people somewhere. It's that I can imagine a world where there is a political economy and superstructural cultural diffusion network that gives people from their childhood from birth, this understanding of universal salvation. I believe that if you were, if enough people were born under conditions where they are introduced to what it is to be a human being on a glide path, basically, not with all trauma removed because trauma is what makes the identity. Like we are, if we don't have any trauma, it's just a blob and then there's nothing. The trauma is what makes the, 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 the ridges in the brain and in the circuit that allow it to regard itself and to generate meaning, recognition. Chances of, uh, of re reconciliation. Like, how can you reconcile if you aren't pulled apart? 
And that is the trauma of life. But that trauma does not have to be a ritual of alienation, which it is under capitalism. It tells us only and forever that we are alone. And yet everything, and yet we we make the world in our image every moment of the day, and yet we are also finite, an irreconcilable concept. Here, why don't you buy something about it? Why don't you kill somebody about it? Why don't you blame somebody for it? Why don't you get somebody else's pleasure, take it out of their mouth, and then feel better for not being them? Because get what you can. Like I talked about global Sweden. I believe a global Sweden could achieve that kind of uh, ritual of uh, induction into uh, what it means to be a human being. We have that too. It's just, it is like, it is a trauma ritual. It it, it is, it's the, uh, it's the private school experience of the uh, British ruling classes exported to the globe, which makes sense because that is the psychic trauma that drove the creation of capitalism. Ritual abuse of powerful people. You can ritually abuse poor people, but so, okay, now you can maybe tell them to kill somebody if you give them money, but they're not going to be able to be in charge of anything. They're too fucking rattled. They're too broken around their uh, traumas. Some fancy pants bitch who gets access to all the finest stuff, who gets a glide path to power, kick his fucking ass. And he'll turn into a fucking psycho. We've done that to literally everyone on this planet. Including me. I want to see the fucking dirt, the, the guilty punished. I don't want to let go of my, of my, uh, of my sensory nexus that gives me the, the, the narrow pleasures that power me through the day. But I also recognize that there is this other consciousness that we all have access to it every day, every day of our lives. But that is pushing against the grain of our lives in every respect, including every time we go on the internet, where we only see ourselves reflected in our worst parts. So we're just only looking through a glass darkly at the worst parts of ourselves, blaming that person, which is our recognition of our participation in our condition, and then wanting to see them suffer. So yeah, that's my theology, basically. I think that there's, uh, I think that like all experiences of love, of communion between minds, like a, a, a situations where you have two people who are experiencing the same level of, uh, of transcendent connection. Those moments linger and persist and form like the, the web of ex- existence. The spiritual web that, that that then in its concentrated form as it ascends towards full communion is is the dominion of God, is the kingdom of God, is heaven. And we all have those experiences in our life, but we have way, way fewer than there used to be. In our, our, we have fewer opportunities to experience them than we used to be because you can't love by yourself unless you commit fully to it and you you take the life of the hermit and you devote yourself to the love of God as an abstraction. That is then the reconciliation of that reflection. And that is really convincing yourself, I have made myself hurt in life so much that I don't have to hurt in heaven. I don't don't have to hurt in the afterlife. 
I have made myself uncomfortable so much that I won't have to pay for it. And that's the thing is, I don't think you pay for it. Not in the way that people think. I think you suffer for it. But you do not, you are not subject to that annihilating obliteration. That either whether it's imagined as pain or as uh, just ceasing to exist shades our mind. But our religious notions have that because they're built on top of class rule. They are constitutive. They were generated by class rule. They are responses to class rule and changing conditions of class rule. Christianity emerges out of the social question of, okay, we got this class society of Jews, right, who are now being occupied by this class society of uh, Roman slave owners. And they are trying to impose a secular existence on us in a way that is going to undermine our system of class rule, which is dominated by this book-based, this literary culture that is defined by its limits. That is, that's an existential conflict, which is why the zealot movement in, uh, in early, early uh, Palestine, man, uh, under the Romans, was this cycle of assassinations and rebellions, with Masada being the most well-known of them. Uh, but it involved, you know, like Tacitus fucking, uh, you know, this is after the death of Christ, but like Tacitus pulls down the fucking temple. No, not Tacitus, I'm sorry. Uh, Hadrian. Hadrian tears down the fucking temple. Or was it Trajan? It happened around then. But Christianity, first is like, you know, this, this pure, like, I, I do believe that the figure, the actual historical figure of Jesus Christ existed in some meaningful form. He was some person or group of people who got basically on the same wavelength at such a deep way that they were able to articulate a vision of non-class society, a vision of reconciling these contradictions without constant warfare, by abolishing the structures of, uh, of punishment and, and separateness that define our societies. We can all work together. Like the, all the miracles, all, all the miracles of, of the wedding and stuff, the fish and the, and, and, and the wine, that's merely pointing out that situations where uh, like the pleasure of social communion would be uh, hoarded by those with access to more resources are now free and even. Like if you're in a if you're with a bunch of equals, a bunch of people who are you're all brother and sister with, no one is a master of anyone else in any way, and that and that schism isn't there. Or even you're not masters. You don't feel in that moment like masters or servants. Then the the wine the water is wine. Then this amount of food, which is usually only feeds this many people, all of a sudden they can feed everybody because they'll take less and still be full, still be satisfied, not want more and start an argument. Happily take less. And of course, that could not be. The Romans and the 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 uh, the Pharisees there had one overriding interest, preventing people from realizing that. Oh, if we are all in the kingdom, if we are all God's children and we all accept Christ, which how could you not? 
Look at the results. Look what he was doing. He was doing miracles. Like every miracle was a real thing that was miraculous in the sense that it created a social reality that was unthinkable before it happened. Now, we call them miracles because we think, well, what would that be for us? And it's an empirical thing. It's seeing something happen that shouldn't be possible to happen. But seeing people drunk at a wedding when they're all drinking water is something that shouldn't be. The thing is, though, that is not that that feeling can only be stabilized by the creation of a classless social structure where where people are given from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. Where that is the 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 um, that is the logic of the state. That is the outcome that everyone within the social body is pursuing. But. There was no, the thing is, is that such a worldview would have had to have won uh, a war. It would have had to have been able to conquer militarily, and it was unable to do so. Instead, it conquered the institutions from within, which means the institutions inverted it to their benefit. That's why once the Romans get involved, all of a sudden all these early Christian communities are arguing about who goes to heaven. The Donatists are like, no, no, no. If you were ever not a Christian, uh, you can't take that back. You're going to heaven. You're going, or you're going to hell. It's a big argument about who goes to hell. Who can I imagine burning to make up for my pain in my life? Because you are living in a regime, a class rule that cannot be overturned. But Christianity was this attempt to to stabilize this class relation to this relationship of people. Hey, maybe we're all brothers, you know, but the social architecture, the, the technological structures to make that happen were impossible. So instead, Christianity becomes incorporated in another regime of power. Now it stabilizes under late Roman Empire, but then. Once the empire falls, you have a huge crisis of legitimacy now because those trade networks can't be sustained anymore because the bureaucracy has lost its ability to give orders and have them taken, basically. So this belief system that is still here because people at this level of social development are incapable of expressing themselves publicly and socially uh, outside of a context of religion because to them... The connectedness of all to all is deeper than language and has to be expressed in their politics. And so it's a fight. It's a struggle. But the big thing is, who are they fighting against? They're not fighting against people who recognize, you know, Christ. They're fighting with different class structures, namely the Germanic tribes. They're chiefdoms. They're land-based regimes of domination, military bans, basically. And they basically had Christianity imposed on them if they wanted to trade. And then they further pulled Christianity towards this new conception of Roman liberty carried out through uh, accordance with God's will. First in the divine right of kings, and then in the divine right of the market. 
And that is the, uh, the, the, the engine of global reaction is that social formation around those people. Basically, the, uh, yeah, the German barbarians who made up Europe. So you have this, and, and it's like Judeo-Christian gets made fun of, but like it really is Judeo-Christian in the sense that the thing I'm talking about, this seed of like a, uh, a religious vocabulary of universal salvation that could be wedded to a, a, a political structure that would, or rather it would influence, it would necessarily influence any social formation that emerges to challenge capitalism, right? Because it came first and it defined everything that came after. So, in social, so uh, when class conflict in Europe accumulates beyond the capacity to hold it in the 15th century, uh, I'm sorry, 14th and 15th century, after the Black Death, uh, and the emergence of this highly mobile ex-peasantry with access to these new concentrations of capital and new technologies of literacy and uh, uh, military power, these force multipliers, basically. Uh, a new vocabulary was needed to deal with this uh, emergent alienation. And of course, not name it by what it was. The, Ref the Reformation emerges, and it of course immediately starts taking off in different parts of Europe and gaining different definitions. In the cities where, where it's born, it's like, oh, this is a better way to find out who goes to hell. This is a better way to make sure I don't go to hell. This is a roadmap to avoid hell. That's what the, that's what the, the comfortable burghers who shape the Protestant uh, Reformation see when they see the Reformation happening. Ooh, yummy, yummy, delicious, in my tum-tum. Give me this new way to decide to make sure I don't go to hell and a new way to identify all the people that I can hate and resent and root for them to go to hell. But for the poor of the continent who are struggling under the, the attempt by the uh, gentry to reimpose like powerful regimes of exploitation, reimpose old feudal regimes that had been uh, eliminated after the Black Death uh, and extract new taxes, all to fund their military uh, exploits, they took it as a sign of universal liberation. Now, of course, the irony is that didn't count the Jews who got pogromed during the Peasant uh, War of, the, of uh, 1521, happening right after the Protestant Reformation begins. And that's because uh, the, the Jews represented class conflict Class, or I'm sorry, class rule stripped of all the mystifying rituals of religious belief and community and all that stuff. Because that was where the Christian uh, ruling class had put it. It's not Christian to borrow money, but, we can, but Jews aren't Christians. Now, Islam shows up later and solves a lot of the contradictions that emerge from this very sticky situation. You have these this big wheezing machine coming into being. That's because it shows up later. But it still has its own contradictions to work through. And honestly, the fact that it forbid interest, really, uh, it hamstrung it in the long run. It thought that, you know, faith alone would drive it to uh, taking over the globe and creating that global peace. But wouldn't you know it, there's Christianity over there. And before you know it, 
Islam becomes, once it reaches its end point, uh, it becomes another uh, regime of dominion. Or rather, it always was, but its capacity for anything else is, is, is extinguished. And so then, the 17th century, the, 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 the crisis of the 17th century, the English Civil Wars, and of course the Thirty Years' War, create the conditions for all these structures to get rearranged around this new public square, this new abstract form, capital, in the cities, replacing and, and, and uh, uh, extracting from, moving geographically capital in its meaningful social form from the countryside to the city. And creating this new person who believes in God for a while, the Dutch Calvinists and such, but they do not believe in God as love. God is only the repository of their guilt. They drive forward through life trying to uh, assuage it, but of course, because it is sublimated and it is, they have not examined their real class interests that really dominate them, uh, they are driven only to greater and greater guilt. which is what powers their, uh, their, the regimes of domination of the other. It powers their need to accumulate, to prove that they are, in fact, chosen. And the thing is, is that there were radical, there were radical, uh, even radical non-antisonic um, strains that come out of this. Uh, once the peasant revolts are put down and there's no more a social base for left-wing, you'd call it, Christianity. It, it picks up among outsiders and, 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 uh, and drifters and, and the urban proletariat, and that is Anabaptism, which is uh, a principle that says, hey, you know, uh, you can only really become a, a, a member of the kingdom of God willingly, and that once you have done it, you can't undo it, which means everybody who is baptized, if they do so willingly, is saved. Well, then where's the state? Where's the state to impose punishment? All right, I'm going to show the dog because he's being a goofus. This is a new guy. His name is Peanut. We believe that he is a chorgi, half chihuahua, half uh, corgi, because he's got corgi bat ears, and he's got the uh, loaf of bread minion butt of a corgi. But he's pretty small. You see him. He's a peanut. He's barking at people in the yard. Okay, I don't know how many questions I even answered. Did I answer like one question? That's kind of ridiculous. But yeah, the, to sum it up, the, this whole spiel, think of life as like being on a trampoline. Like you're, you're jumping up and down. You're usually focused on not falling off of it. But once in a while, you get a really good bounce and you are like you hit an apogee. I know this is from community, but it's a very valid observation. And those moments hang in time. You know, they don't go away. Because they're in your head. You remember them. And uh, I think that 
death is just whenever it happens, and it happens to all of us at seven zillion different locations and times and possibilities. Uh, we the the multiverse, whatever. It, it it is just a it's a branching tessellation of almost any time and circumstance could lead to your death. You could get eaten by dolphins. You could fall on one uh, like a circular saw at a fucking uh, at a at a sawmill. You could get tomain poisoning at Six Flags. You could die in your bed at 104. Uh, all those things happen, and the experience of 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 the mind leaving the body, basically, of the chemicals sort of circulating out, is being pulled basically through your experiences. And those moments at the top of the the trampoline are there at the top to basically ease you into the next stage, whatever that is. Is it pure obliteration? Is it some sort of, like I said, some sort of staged emergence of consciousness? I think it's different depending on where you are when you die and how much you're able to prepare yourself for it, how much you're able to will it into being rather than have it inflicted upon you. And in some of those, you probably get more answers than others, but those answers are only temporary and fleeting. And they're only really projections of your own mind anyway. They don't actually have any meaning outside of the fact that they explain something to you. And then they, they get eaten up and then you fall back down somewhere else until you get pulled back up. So that's my whole theology for the moment. I don't know what you'd call it. I definitely don't want to start a cult or anything around that because, like I said, this sort of idea, this is one of the, uh, as Adam Sandler said, this is information that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. Like if, say, the working class had won the war for the means of production in in the late 1900s, early 20th century, if a number of things had fallen in different ways, if a number of dominoes had gone in other ways, like, say, Fucking Abraham Lincoln doesn't get fucking killed, perhaps, something like that. Maybe we have something with a name that is what I'm describing. And it's and a vocab, because the thing about this thing I'm describing, it's actually, you can imagine it occurring. It's conceivable by the mind, which is the problem with Christian horizons, spiritual horizons, in the way that they're popular on, popularly understood. Is because they cannot assume a stage towards because they're assuming a separation that must be paid for. You got to have a fucking coin for Charon. You got to put your heart on the fucking uh, on the balance with the feather. No, no, you don't have to. And the thing is, though, if you knew that, why would you feel the need to hurt anyone else ever? And I, I don't mean th- think that. Like I think it. I think it's true. But if I'd grown up with it, I would believe it the way that the most fervent believing Christian does. But those fervent believing Christians want that belief to murder other people because at the end of the day, they can't imagine heaven because they can't imagine reunion and reconciliation. So like every time I I, I find myself hitting that wall of like, oh God, I'm being punished in some way or I have to punish others, which are totally... Connected things. You can't have one without the other. Because punishing others is our punishing ourselves for our complicity in our own unhappiness. Which everyone has, including myself. Because unhappiness is not a 100% zero thing. It's not binary. It is, a, it, is a, it is a presence that is greater or lesser and that we participate in, but mostly subconsciously. 
which is where we express, which is why we express our uh, self-hatred outward. And so what that, this is, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the Christian rejoinder is always to the idea of universal salvation. Well, then people are going to do anything they want, but that's just it. What are they going to want to do? That rejoinder assumes an eternal condition of class rule where people are miserable and need to inflict misery. I don't think that's necessary. I think that is a made-up thing that we all were tricked into, and now it's too binding to believe is not real, but it, it really is. It's not a real thing. And the fact that I exist is the proof. The fact that I think the way I do is the proof. The old Descartes thing, Cartesian thing. Is it, and it's like that thought is not enough to change the conditions of the world, but it can perhaps sit with me in a way that allows me to make other decisions in my life along an axis of outward love and, 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 and reaching outward as opposed to needing to punish and feeling fear of because we see others as agents of the punishment we think we deserve. So what I, because like I, I, and this is why I, I get the, the, uh, the Anabaptist notion of, of being born again, because they really do believe that if you're born again, you basically are always saved no matter what you do afterwards, even if you, aren't, even if you don't repent after you do it. Because you had an emotional experience of such intensity that you connected in your mind to this concept of God that you know deeper than in thought that when you die, that is going to be sequentially the last thing you experience, is that feeling. So if you've had that experience and you can put a name to it, then you can actually operate not from the libido, not from the desire to uh, uh, impose a sadomasochistic game on on the world and on your own mind, which, of course, redounds and hurts you because, hey, those are real people too. They're also God. They're also the universe. Every one of them all bumping into each other. So we got nothing but do-overs. We all get do-overs. All of our sins collapse. But then we get to live it again. And that is, that is the scary part, right? But we all are afraid of that because we imagine the eternity of it. But here's the thing. The eternity of it is happening right now. You know what I mean? I know this is like, oh, dorm room weed bullshit, but it's just also true. The reason it sounds like dorm room weed bullshit is because we do not have any social structures that can communicate this information in a way that has any uh, audience buy-in. Instead, you have instantaneous audience rejection. Because of the world that they've grown up and lived in their entire fucking lives. This is why I'm saying the religious structures that are going to have to come along with the new human race that is going to have to fight what's coming and happening right now uh, is not going to be anything that we can point to now and say this structure will persist. I think you're going to get what you always get with this stuff is you get uh, movement toward a point of inflection. And then when the inflection point happens, there is a change of trajectory that is accompanied by an explosion of energy that creates a fucking crater and everything around it is blasted. 
but it sends seeds basically across this no man's land that then come up and they're going to have new names and they're going to be influenced by things like Christianity and Islam. They're going to be synthesized like a fucking, you know, Zen Sunism in, in Dune. But instead of just being another name for class rule, they will be the structural, cultural, narrative uh, expressions of the collective experience of fighting for the human race. And that's why all the trad calf dumbasses and people who think that they're going to fucking resuscitate a god after we killed them in the 19th century are living in a fantasy because they're giving themselves permission to dominate. They're giving themselves permission to create a politics of punishment and sadomasochism because they're on the wrong side of God. But what the coming into consciousness of the liberal subject through the global market did is abolish the notion of a, of a separate God that is in some way partisan of a portion of humanity. There is nowhere you can cut and make meaningful distinctions. It all flows back together. And that means that there can be no eternal damnation or separation. And like the ideal life, the perfect life, the golden path life, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the maxed out Taoist immortality goal that like Eastern spirituality has, which the, the immortality that like in the West we can only imagine as like a Musk-like, God-like technological consciousness. No, like, like old immortality in like the Taoist tradition where the circle is understood to exist along with the staircase as opposed to only staircase, which is what uh, uh, eventually Christianity and then, uh, and then capitalism impose on the world. That Taoist immortality is essentially when your whole life is those moments, when you're feeling that, you know what I mean? When your entire life is that apogee of the fucking where you are jumping, you are, you are directing your energy so consciously at every moment away from fear and away from the fear that builds scaffolding of need and desire and towards just taking the buffeting winds of life as they come and immediately normalizing and de-scarifying everything that you encounter such that the threat of death never intercedes because your the sense of distance is never uh, uh, accumulates. It is always dissipated so that you will die eventually. The Taoist immortal still dies. But his experience of life is unbounded by the, 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 the miseries, the, the pain that we're all forcing ourselves to endure because we are all going to have to pay for everything, all the sins we've committed in one way or another. But not to the point of mindless horror, to the point when the Green Knight's axe recedes. Anybody know that story, the Green Knight? This is the classic, uh, this is from Christianity when it is still protean, when, it, when there's still 
when it has not been turned into liberal subject, it is really liberal subjectivity that comes in and destroys the entire uh, uh, edifice based on like these Christian infused Roman notions of individual individuality and salvation. Like this is still when there's like a pagan heart to it. The Green Knight, and they made a movie about it recently. The Green Knight, you know, he comes to the, the Christmas bank, banquet. And he says, anybody want to hit me with a, a knife? I'll give him like a bike of gold or something. And uh, what the fuck's his name? Uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the knights starts with a G, Gawain. Gawain shows up, cuts his head right off. The guy picks his head up. He goes, all right, you got to come to my fucking shop. You got to come to my uh, gaff, my, my castle in a year's time. And then I get to hit you. And it's him spending the years just like trying to come to terms with the horror of that uh, and then going. And in the book, in the movie, and this is very interesting, in the movie, he runs away. Uh, and then you show in a short bit his life after running away. He gets married. He has a kid. The kid's kind of a shit. Dies young. He's miserable. His, his, uh, his kingdom is at war. Uh, everything is ash. And then he decides, and then he turns out that that's a dream on his way there, that he dreams he fails. And then he goes and presents his neck. And uh, in the movie, the Green Knight says, now off with your head. But in the actual story, he brings the knife, the axe down, and stops, just touches him with it. And he lets him go. And it's a Christian parable. Like That's how, that's how uh, Christ works. You know, like you will punish yourself for not accepting him, but he will never punish you. And what that means, though, is that you will, he will save you no matter what you thought in life. Because the circumstances are not yours to control. In the movie, though, he just says, off of your head, and then it goes to black because that's the modern condition. It's like, yes, sacrifice for something, but knowing in your heart that that sacrifice is going to end in obliteration. And, and that, that is, that's what drives suicide bombers. That's just, the, that's just the acceleration of the death drive of capitalism. Get this over with. Rather have my head cut off than burn alive. Everybody who is pushing towards the oblivion right now is doing so because they would rather get shot in a in a in a in a, uh, in a race war or a or a, a, a holy war. Uh, they would rather, uh, if they're hedonists, they would rather uh, overdose on ketamine or have a heart attack at, while eating their fifteenth uh, McDouble than burn alive, which is the horizon that we are all coming to terms with the hell that has now become manifest on earth that we have all been, always been driving towards. But it was on the horizon until we globalized capitalism, at which point it, it, it breaches the membrane. It goes from the psychic world. It goes from the nightmare we've been living in to the real world. And then we're all living towards it. But of course, we will not, none of us will be burned. None of us will be consumed. Even those of us who are burned will not eternally be burned. And we will not be obliterated either because it's the same thing. The Tony Soprano death is the same thing. Because remember, who is horrified by Tony Soprano's death? It's us. Because we're still here. 
what's happening in Tony's mind is inaccessible. I would argue it's probably a continuation of the Kevin Finnerty saga. And it takes a long time, probably, to a lot to unwind. For a guy like Tony, a lot to unwind. And just the thought of that drives us insane and therefore becomes hell. But yeah, Chase is the only person who has actually figured out a way to put on screen the reality of the, uh, of the nightmare of the post-religious Western subject, which is no resolution. Because we don't, we don't, even though we, got, we won't put it in terms of uh, reconciliation, we think of, uh, of wanting, before we die, some sort of understanding. Understanding replaces uh, reconciliation. Because reconciliation is based on letting go of the need to know anything. Understanding, oh, right, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. These ideas, these structures, these are just things that a human brain needs to move through space. I don't need them where I'm going. I can drop them at any time. I need them while I'm on Earth, but I'm not, a, I'm, oh, I'm, just drop them. And if you can do that, you get pulled through the fucking hole, through the, through the universal butthole. But, you know, the less you've reconciled yourself to what you've done in your life, and Tony has not at all, the more you're going to have to work through. And the longer it's going to be and the more it's going to suck. But at the end of it is the same light. Because if there's not, then you cannot have any horizon of, of meaning. If you cannot, then it is nihilism. Which is what has gripped those who do believe, they be, that they do actually have like belief in a supernatural God. They do believe that. But what they really believe in is killing themselves before they're really punished, before they're actually earthly punished for what they've wrought. Which everyone who wrought's out Misery is worried about getting. And here in the West, we are all having nervous breakdowns because of this radical asymmetry between how bad things are going to get probably, how much misery is going to be unleashed, and then our individual responsibility for it. Like, if you just were born in the United States, you were born on top of this giant pile of imperial lucre. That if you were, if you're old, you grew up as it was being stacked up. And if you're even, you're younger, you've, you've experienced it only declining, but it's still there relative to other people in the world. It's there. And it's all dependent on the system that is undermining itself and destroying itself. We all know that and we can't do anything about it because of our mistrust and ability, inability to reconcile. And we all know that, and we all have to deal with, the, with it. Now, liberals deal with it as guilt. They're feeling guilty. But what they're really feeling, because they're sociopaths, is, oh, God, this is going to come back to me. I am going to have to uh, flee my house in a, in a tsunami. I am going to be killed by a climate refugee, uh, which is basically I'm going to get bitten by a zombie from the, 19, from the, 20, from the, post, uh, from the, uh, the Bush era height of zombie movies where we're inscribing the fear of the coming uh, uh, crisis. This is what we're afraid of. 
but that expresses itself different ways. Liberals, they want because they're they consciously blame themselves. Uh, that means that they can't consciously seek punishment because conscious punishment would be their zombie nightmare. They don't want that to happen to them. So instead, uh, it's this political tragedy where they get to be uh, turned into an oppressed minority against their will. It allows them to keep consuming the way that they're consuming. But again, their individual consumption is not really, if they're, if they're just like, you know, homeowners in America, it's not individually much. We're enmeshed in these structures. And our degree that we, like, blame ourselves for why we're, like, you know, where we are, why, the, the more amount of, like, uh, American self-mortification we do, that's really just self-love. It's like, guess what, buddy? Get over yourself. If you disappeared tomorrow, nothing would change. Not about anything. You are not even an asterisk on an asterisk's ass. Get over yourself. That guilt is self-love. And the uh, reactionaries have guilt, too. But they are, uh, they want to dominate. They want to do a carnival of violence to ex exert their, they, they are the sado end of the sadomasochistic spectrum. So uh, they get to turn their guilt into uh, fear of an other that will punish them. That's why, like you had people in Arkansas uh, open, open carrying uh, at uh, like a Piggly Wiggly because they thought ISIS was going to come up and cut their heads off. Like this is, they know that we invaded Iraq. They know we're the reason that that happened. They think they deserve to have their fucking heads cut off, but they can't examine that any more than the uh, the liberal can examine their desire to have the the icky, scary other kept at arm's length technologically. Thank you very much. So yeah, so my neuroses though, I'll just get this out here at the end, is such that like I have these thoughts and I feel like really good about them. And that's like, I feel like I'm getting at the top of the trampoline. Like, oh, if I just had a, if I literally just had a, a, a brain aneurysm right now, I'd be, I'd, I'd be set. Uh, but that's because like the fulcrum of my neuroses is not political because I have real problems. Yes, I'm a white cis male. Most white cis males whose axis of trauma is around politics are pampered babies uh, who uh, haven't ever really had a problem in their life, which is why so many of them are like outright aesthetic fascists. They're alienated and miserable, but all they can think to really be mad about is politics. I, as many of you know, had a fucking spinal injury in my teenage years that left me uh, partially paralyzed and with constant pain in my lower half and, and weakness. Uh, and what that has created is an estrangement from my body that is manifested in a powerful uh, strain of hypochondria. And my political involvement is only a distraction from that. Like, this is the engine of mine. It's hypochondria. And so it's a constant game of thinking about feeling bad things in my body, then disappear, dissipating my fear of them 
as a substitute for like any actual satisfying emotional connection I had in my life. This is for large portions of my life. I was very closed off. I thought I knew what love was. I really didn't. I was, I was, I was a pretty miserable and bad person. But again, I didn't know any better. And nobody else does either. That's like, oh, you're exculpating yourself for all the stuff you've done wrong. I've done tums wrong, and I want to make amends. I'm trying in my way. But uh, I also have to recognize uh, we're, gonna, we're just pulled through space, and guilt is all self-imposed, really. But we're all stuck in this thing of like, oh, God, if the world collapses, then that means that I'm going to be either put in a concentration camp and shot by uh, Trump Nazis or a bunch of uh, an army of zombie uh, uh, illegals is going to show up at my house and, and, and murder me for sport, like film it on TikTok, them cutting my guts out. Like those fears are, uh, they're suppressions of, of, our, of our sense of, of deeper misery that we just call guilt. And like it's, yeah, these people are, uh, are doing bad things, but the worst thing is that they just don't love. That was the worst thing I was doing is that I didn't love. I couldn't love because I could only fixate on my own misery. And, the, and so I created a little cycle of pleasure where, like, talking myself out of thinking I was dying and, like, seeking distractions more than anything becomes, like, the closest thing I had to a will to power, like, or a will to anything, a will to assertion. I'm not going to try to actually, like, uh, you know, impose myself on the world in any way. I'm not going to try to make sense of the world at the time in my life when, like, that's what everybody is energized by, when they're full of, full of vinegar, like, okay, how am I going to make... Make, make myself in the world. And it's coming into contact with the world that we find out what we really value. But I was just paralyzed because uh, I was trying to distract myself from, from, from pain and humiliation. And, and then it would just come out in these terrifying fits where I thought I was dying, where I would like identify a feeling in my body. I would create a narrative where it was something very deadly wrong with me, but not wrong enough to go to the doctor. And then that would get me to Pac-Man, like, get immediate distractions from that sensation. But now, like, I felt like I have done some self-therapy, basically, with the help of psychedelics over the last two years. And in the course of that, I've, like, accessed capacities I didn't really know I had. Uh, Specifically, the ability to, like... uh, I think it pulled me back into my body in a way. That's what it is. I think it got so that I was able to feel things, like feel the moment I was in more deeply, which allowed me to gain meaning from it rather than floating above it wanting to be elsewhere, which is where I was mostly stuck. I would only occasionally be in my body. Uh, and so now when I'm like, I feel like I'm reentering my body. But what that means is like whenever I get like to a particularly intense point of like sensation of pleasure of happiness, like unalloyed and untainted by all of the, of the structures that kind of had pulled me in, in a direction of, of misery, I get my brain like kicks in and says, oh, that's because you're like talking yourself into like a self-euthanasia. And then I panic because, oh my God, no, I don't want to die because at the end of the day, how many, how many of my experiences have been 
such that would make me feel that way versus how much have I experienced in my life? How much baggage do I have of me being awful to myself and to others, of, of, of hurting, of, of participating? But they're all, if you, if you accept, you know, this premise that like, this is all really, it's all real and every choice is real because it makes the other choices. But the resi- residue is not, it's all in our head. The residue is instantly forgivable by the greater context that we're part of. And so that allows you to be like, oh, yeah, maybe I am dying right now. Okay, so what? That's the breakthrough. Like I have go- That is where I have gotten with my hypochondria now. Whereas I would get a sensation. I would, I would feel like a little spike of adrenaline, basically. And then I would talk around it until I found myself to distract myself with it. What I do now is I still get the spike. But then I, um, instead of trying to talk around it, like, is this thing, I accept that it is real. I consciously say to myself, okay, this is happening. And then I just, that makes you have to feel your body. And then you're, you're back to feeling a homeostasis, which for me involves relative comfort, thankfully, and people in my life who I love, who I get to spend time with and do things with and do things like this when I'm feeling that way with. And that all feels productive and it all feels right. And yes, it's on top of a pile of skulls. It is. All of it is based on Massive, horrifying exploitation. The very machine that's choking humanity right now. But I am not responsible for it. None of us are. And it is only by saying that first that you can get rid, at least for me, of the fear that, well, no, this has to all be paid back to me somehow. And, of course, that means that's going to make you focus on, oh, there's going to be an apocalyptic collapse next week. There's going to be an apocalyptic collapse surely in the next year. Which can then be the uh, the terrible annihilation that you're afraid of. You have to forgive yourself before you can operate within these structures in a productive fashion. Otherwise, guess what your politics are? They're not about actually fixing a problem with other people. They're about making yourself feel less guilt. You're, you're making it so that you feel like, one way or another, I am not going to get the pulled into a meat grinder zombie death that I'm afraid of. One way or another, I am going to def- protect that. Either now, before by 2020, a lot of people thought, "Oh, we're not going to get eaten by uh, by the zombie cannibal hordes because Bernie's going to prevent that from happening." That was a fantasy, but it was a sustainable fantasy given the fact that you had a guy running for president, and president is the the psychic pivot of American politics. It's like where everything else is revolved around this. Person acting. That person acting is Bernie. Maybe things change in a way that you can stave off the worst of it. Or die in the pursuit of it, which is a good death, which is not a guilty death. Now we're left with the question of how do we act individually, given what we know is happening? And again, I say the first thing to do is to strip it of the erotic. Strip it of guilt. Don't think of the global American global system, which is this monstrous parasite destroying the globe that deserves to be obliterated immediately tomorrow. Do not conflate that with your individual place within it. 
in terms of guilt or responsibility or stability or anything. We imagine a relationship there, and it is so far apart in orders of magnitude of influence to like macro conditions that are going to affect your life as to be ridiculous, which means you don't have to make a politics of ritual abasement because you don't have to abase anything. What you could do is help somebody else. But here's the thing. Even if we get consumed by fire, we don't. Even if this is the end of the human race in a hundred years, a uh, hundred year time frame, which is like the worst of the worst predictions, right? It's not the end of anything. Because the universe is bound by consciousness of one kind or another. Part of the human ego trip man, that we have that allows us to imagine, like the way that we're able to imagine a human race, you know, in the Hegelian sense, uh, is to uh, still enforce a separation between the human race and everything else. Like You have to do that to articulate it. But once articulated, it then must be reconciled. The dream of the, of, 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 of the working class building communism in the 20th century was that, that the working class could seize the control of the means of production and push towards a utopian horizon that first realizes the uh, separate destiny and, and, and spirit of a human race and then, after recognizing and territory and like uh, defining it, then reconciles it on a mass civilizational uh, form the same way that the working class once taking power was to reconcile itself to the greater human race so yeah so death all, like the good news is is that death is not the end there's nothing to be afraid of except whether you can handle the actual misery of life that you are going to be living. But there is no eternal punishment, and there is, in fact, eternal redemption, which renders all the, pay, all the pain that you feel in life before that meaningless. But it's not an extinction. It extinguishes the pain, but it leaves, it leaves the glow. Because that's the only real stuff. That's the only stuff that is aware of itself. Because it's fixed in a consciousness. So if human race goes out, what? That returns the planet to conditions that it's had dozens of times in its history? Oh man, yeah, that's the end of that's the end of life. That's it. I'll, that's bye-bye. Poppycock. I know this has been very hippie this is all hippie bullshit. As I said, because we've lost the vocabulary to communicate these kind of concepts. Because they are only personally experiential. They cannot be scientifically examined. So we've lost the vocabulary to impart meaningful, uh, uh, persuasive power, absent our cultural power. Which is why all I could ever do with this is start a cult that would invariably collapse because no one would have any fucking practical skills. So 
I'm just talking it out here. I'm not going to not going to apply for a tax exempt status or any of that bullshit. Just talking out if this if any of this makes sense. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm grateful if I could provide even temporary balm. I think that's what's necessary. The idea that you have to be angry is, I think, real, but it has to be a righteous anger. It cannot be a self-indulgent uh, anger. And I think that the Internet can only really stoke uh, the latter. Okay. Wow, this is another long one. <sighs> I mean, I do think that psychedelics would be a sacrament of this religion if it could have come into being. Like, instead of people getting shit-faced. Because imagine communal group experiences of guided experiential connect, communion and connection that could then be networked. We've had that. I, be, I believe that those societies have existed in human history. Some of them might exist now. But what they needed to colonize the globe, to colonize the stars, to create total consciousness is a technological platform, which it now has. Now, of course, it'll be destroyed probably in the next uh, centuries, but its skeleton will remain. And I think it's from that skeleton that a new flesh will be knit. Now, of course, they're going to legalize psychedelics, but just for like individual therapeutic use and recreational, so that it just becomes another way to keep people productive. Just becomes another way to get them through the day. Because what they do is they do make you feel that connection. But if you can't give it words, if you cannot give it a narrative to bind you between encounters, it just dissipates. And all of the misery structures that we are every day tattooed with in our encounters with each other through this veil in this black iron prison knock us away from any useful excess of those feelings. All it does is give us a little boost for the next week. Get us through to the end of the fiscal quarter. And I do think there are people doing like good work at a clinical level with uh, psychedelics, but I think it's going to have to it's going to have to become some sort of structured project. And again, not independent of a of a labor movement, constitutive of a, of a of a broader humanistic resistance. And here's the thing, that'll either come into being in a meaningful way that even if it doesn't win, it gives you a fight to fight for, or it won't. Either way, though, you will die. You will be reconciled. And humanity, in one form or another, consciousness expressed through the lens of humanity, but every other fucking species and planet here and elsewhere, continues. And then you are therefore never out of it. You're eternally enmeshed in it. So, what do you want the actual experience that takes up being part of, like, the immortal universe, what do you want that time to be spent doing? What do you want that experience to be? Love. What moves you towards love? That heuristic pulls you through the decision tree against the current of uh, resentment and fear and guilt and and the 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 dark the dark mirror of the internet the black mirror as it were 
And like uh, even these speeches I've given, like they're of limited usefulness because you still got to live your life. It's just words. How are you going to fuse these things to experience? And I think it's the experience of love once sought, once, once experience will be sought and the pursuit will give you questions, a decision tree. You'll move through it. And I think that, that the process of reconciliation is the moving up the spiral staircase of the Black Tower which is the life that you end up living ending in a way that explains and therefore absolves all and dissolves all attachments. The attachments that are keeping you from ascension. Now, Buddhism would say, no, no, that's not true, actually. Buddhist, Buddhists would say, no, 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 uh, no, no, that's only for the Bodhi, that's only for the, your, top, your top Lama type guys. Uh, maybe your Bodhisattvas, uh, your regular guy, you, you don't get that. You, get, you go back down with the ants. No, no, no. Really, what a sh- coincidence. Buddhism, God love it, came into being at the same time as fixed structures of class rule in Eurasia as a way to enforce class rule. Confucianism and Buddhism emerged basically at the same time as the fluid structures of of, of rule, moving in and out of roles across time and space, are fixed along axis of consistent class power. They need a spiritual vocabulary to make sense of it. Boom. Fucking Tibetan lamas were chopping people's hands off for not doing a good enough job farming into the 20th century. Every mind gets at its end a, a reconciliation that it can understand, but not without suffering. Suffering first. And this is why I'm saying it has to have a new name, it has to have new branding, it has to have new associations that will be syncretic because all of these are old, these are all redolent, all these Concepts we point to, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, they're all crudded over and, and warped around a, uh, an internal model, an armature of class domination. Because, like, if you do have the cyclical thing like you do in the East, how the hell can you be punishing people? Well, because, you know... What you do here is going to put you somewhere else and your people like you eternally going through this, this washing machine. That's because you want somebody else to do your work for you. The history of all dead generations lays like a nightmare on the minds of the living. One of the most crucial Marx quotes and one that I think should preclude any Marxist from taking seriously any of this bullshit about picking up the uh, uh, the meaning sign- symbols of, of nationalism and, and, and uh, Western Christian thought because these things cannot be broken from their context of class domination. They don't make sense without them. Christianity as practiced in the West 
is made illogical and illegible by the concept of universal salvation. I mean, you can prove logically that universal salvation is correct if you want to go for it. How about this? Except that the principle that that the structure of power that that has emerged uh, along with Christianity to dominate the globe that we currently live with is one that is unsustainably uh, moving towards annihilation. And that is the thing that everybody can agree on, even if they're reactionary and they love capitalism, because they've just figured out it's some other... Some other, it's like, um, it's like, instead of pointing, like, they're going to point at the stripes on the tiger instead of the orange and say, like, that's, that's the thing. They're pointing at, uh, at some cultural expression of that destruction that they feel at a more deep level that they can deal with. The, the just the alienation, the, the pushing of every pe- everybody away from each other and everybody being pushed in towards each other and towards misery. I completely forgot what I was saying. Uh, I have not done acid in almost a year. I might never do it again, honestly, because it pushes me to a point where, like, I have to kind of put up or shut up uh, in an adrenal sense. You know what I mean? Like a spike, uh, like a physiological spike that that triggers a response that uh, might be dangerous just because... uh, I can say all I want how I've conquered these things, but I have not. I've spent most of my life reinforcing them. The body tells the, sto- score, the score, right? Like I am, uh, I am these. I am deeply triggered, you know, by this stuff. Like I need, I need as much time as I can to sort of sand down my uh, my ego response to the 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 onset of a uh, uh, hypochondriac moment. Which are all which which uh, now I get triggered basically every time I do anything. And the thing is, I used to get triggered by it and it would make me miserable. Now I get triggered by it and I'm able to sort of use it as a as a lazy way of uh, of, of of contemplating because I am at the end of the day a lazy person. You know, I do I do uh, I do uh, meditate and I try to you know think of my breathing a lot. But I don't know, I'm kind of at a point, an equilibrium with my life where I'm not that worried about being catastrophically destroyed either spiritually or personally. So I can kind of just live, like I feel relatively creatively fulfilled right now, working on several projects that I'm very excited about. Uh, You know, I have uh, people in my life that I'm fortunate to call friends and, and family that I get to spend time with and that like I'm able to do political work and and charitable work that speaks to me. I don't really want to knock over the Coke machine because the desire to do that is really my desire to just break away from everything and, and pursue an immediate ecstatic reunion on my own terms. 
rather than accepting that if I seek it, it will recede from me. So I am using less powerful drugs to ma- to kind of pre- get uh, initiative, like physical sensations, and then dealing with them. Because like uh, the thing that allows me to actually feel the calmness and like you know actually feel like I'm releasing tension rather than storing it is the knowledge that like my belief that oh yeah no this is it is being conjured by my, my by my desire, my death drive to extinguish, to, to opt out of everything I'm afraid of happening. Because at the end of the day, I still have residual guilt and anxiety. And I do live in a world that is deeply unstable and terrifying and, and in, in decline. And so like, I do have real fears about bad things happening, like things that are going to be unpleasant to experience. But if I'm able to like accept The reality of that, then it means, well, if you're really, like, going to die, then everything you thought was true is correct, which means you don't have anything to be afraid of, which means you don't have anything to be punished for. And that means when I, if I wake up after closing my eyes at this monitor, after I stumble, like I collapse forward, this becomes an epic video, uh, a streamer epically owned by own uh, blood vessels. Is my eye turns red and I collapse? Like I will probably still be talking, and who knows? I have no idea, but it will not be a. Uh, like I said, it's a you're being pushed, you're being pulled, without your even knowledge, down a down a tunnel, like a, like a like a beam of light being bent towards a black hole. And so you can, and so if I'm worried about dying and I, and I get that and I get into the neurotic thing, well, then I start thinking, is it, is it real? And then what happens is that the sensations, the bad feelings start multiplying and it gets deeper. And I actually feel like more bad feelings in my body. The more I try to think that it's not real because, you know, it's, it's, it's galloping beyond me. It's my desire to be punished revealing itself like, oh no, the, my brain just dis- dis- convinces itself this is the end. And then instead of being, okay, beam me up, Scotty, being like, oh, no, it's uh, time to burn in hell for eternity. So I just chase this yes, no, isn't. And then it, uh, and it's this misery. It's this horrible, it's, it is a hell of being stuck between these two poles, which is just the physical or the mental extension of the hell of being stuck between those two poles subconsciously. So now I just breathe. And as long as I am, yeah, not like over overtaxing my system or overdosing myself, uh, I catch the wave basically and pull it down. And I really do feel like deep, like warmth. I feel warmth go through my body, which means that like me, say hypothetically, like I am on a path because like my body at a deep sympathetic nervous system level, like, like a dog hearing an earth, knowing an earthquake is coming three days later. It's like, okay, in uh, four years from now, 
this guy's uh, blood vessels are just going to go. He's going to keel over. Now, where do we want him to be when that happens? We, do we want him to be like fighting with a cop because he wants to like do a citizen's arrest of Muncher? Is it like, you know, having a screaming argument with somebody who they, they can't uh, be vulnerable with? Is it some sort of self-destructive uh, ritual that has to be reproduced eternally? Well, no. If he's, if he's on the course he is and he stays comfortable, then this can sneak up on him. This thing can sneak up on him in such a way that it just takes him. That scared me for a while, the thought of that, and it would make me anxious and I would start breathing heavily and feeling more bad feelings and having more symptoms when I considered it. But now I am able to take that thought and then normalize it too. Like, yeah, good. Because if it's true, that is the best thing to do. For all considered, what you're gonna you're gonna go to the doctor and they're gonna say there's nothing wrong with you, and then you're gonna you're gonna drive yourself crazy trying to ignore the fear, or you're just gonna live your life and be guided, hopefully, by the love in it. And then even if things get harder, you still have a, a guide forward. But the other thing is, is that I also know that that is an insane neurotic fantasy of total domination and godhood. That is the the thought that my body is able to do that, capable of doing that. That's a fantasy. Who the fuck do I think I am? Of course, though, at the same time, maybe it isn't. It is a contradiction that is resolved by the fact that there is no negative consequence if it's one or the other. That's how you resolve a contradiction. If it doesn't matter. Okay. I hope some of that made sense. Feeling pretty good. I'm always feeling a little anxious. Always feeling a little nervous. Always feel a little like maybe you're wrong. But it's a dimming voice. And, uh, I've, 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 I've honestly felt it diminish over the last two years. Uh, and all I can do is keep, keep trying to, to sand it down. All right. Peace, brothers and sisters. It's the age of Aquarius, man.